welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Good morning, Epiphany Fellowship Church and all of those who are visiting from across the globe. I want to give a special shout out to all of those who are across the globe. Uh, Shout out to you, much love um, to you and grace and peace to you, Um, to all of those who are watching and those who've been tuning in. I get messages from people. I love it when you guys shoot me, uh, particularly on Instagram, with any of them. Um, But I get a lot of the stories on Instagram where you take a picture of you and your family watching or your dog watching or your toddler watching or you just watching and so it's uh, or, or a single person you just there with some nice warm socks on and your pajamas and you and you take your picture with your feet and everything um I keep sending those to me those are very encouraging because in times like this because you know we're not around each other we're not really um connected in a physical way um that's a very very practical way to kind of feel like um we're together and that we're watching and that we're connecting with each other and so Uh, Much love to all of you. So Epiphany family, keep sending me them photos. Um, They are encouraging to me and helpful to me and and, uh, my family as we all are enduring this pandemic. Trying to figure out what, you know, uh, life is like now with um, normality being thrown out the window. And even after this is over, normality will be thrown out of the window. We will have a brand spanking new what would be normal. And so um, be encouraged by um, whatever we can get to you online. We're excited to get that to you, get information to you. Keep track with us on our website and on our social media platforms. Thanks again for being with us. Well, today we are um, taking a break for the next four weeks from uh, our series on order in the church. And I feel like in this series, we've taken more breaks than any other series in in you know the other reasons were emergency reasons because of what's been going on in our country and so we needed to talk about those particular issues or to just deal with the nature of the pandemic however um every december we do an advent series and so we're starting a four-week advent series this year and i think um you i think you'll be blessed by it and i hope the principles of the historic faith and those who have been celebrating uh the season of the epiphany if you will um we, we we should have a good time in this um open up your bibles for me to isaiah 9 6 and 7. isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7. when you get there say amen even though i can't hear you i'm gonna assume it amen isaiah 9 6. It says for us, I'm about to, I'm so, so I memorized this verse <laughs> out of, I don't know, I think the New American Standard or the King James, I'm pretty sure, but of course we're using the ES, I mean, that we used to use the ESV, now we're using the CSB. So I'm going to read it out of the CSB version, of course. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion 
will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Um, this first installment of our four-week series on fresh expectations, I would like to talk to you uh, in this tantalizing text, if you will. I would like to tag it, fresh expectations, fresh expectations, God in heaven. We thank you for the epiphany of the Lord Jesus, and we pray that you would guide us, that you would lead us, and that through the stages of Advent, that you would encourage us in every week, and that you would warm us to the bones uh, in cold times of physical cold and cold times of spiritual drought. Will you pour into us and put your arm around us and let us know that you are take, taking care of us and that everything will be all right. Somebody needs to know that today, Lord God. They need to know that um, in the midst of the need for emotional breakthrough, my, my, my prayer is, is that they would not be blocked and blinded from expectations, but they would be blessed and pulled through to be able to have fresh expectations from you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said, amen and amen. Advent um, is one of those words you may have heard of it or no, maybe you're a new Christian, maybe you're a, 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 a de-churched person or, you know, whatever, or maybe you're not even a Christian, you're on here. Well, Advent historically um, is on what's called the liturgical calendar. The church, the early church had what's called a, a liturgical calendar. When we talk about Advent, let me start with that so I can explain this. So you can kind of understand what's going on. So Advent means arrival. That arrival is, of course, talking about the arrival of Jesus. It's one of the seasons on the liturgical calendar. Our church is called Epiphany. If you notice, we're probably one of we're probably the only. Well, now that we planted churches, but the string of churches, us and the string of churches come through. We're the only Protestant churches named Epiphany. Usually you'll have Catholic church. I didn't realize until we named the church Epiphany years after that the only churches named Epiphany are either Lutheran or uh, or like Eastern Orthodox church or or Catholic uh, because they 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 have a deep deeper connection to the liturgical calendar than we do. They follow it to the teeth and um, but, but uh, Epiphany means to appear. And so Christianity, one of the things that our people did was they followed the liturgical calendar. I'll explain that in the section, uh, in, 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 in a minute. But Jesus has two main revealing appearings, if you will, when we talk about appearing with Epiphany, right? He had the appearing in his incarnation when he came from heaven to earth, but he also, when he came physically in a uh, uh, in a way that would eventually be revealed as it being him ultimately. And then he has another advent, uh, 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 his arrival when he comes to earth again. And I believe that, uh, you know, some of you all don't, I hope y'all know this. We, at, at Epiphany, we don't teach like the rapture, him coming halfway down and then going back up because that means he comes back twice in our mind. So biblically, we believe the second coming 
uh, and the rapture are the same thing. Um, I'll explain that one day, but it's very important for you to understand. We believe in two arrivals of Jesus. We're not talking about the Theophanies or the Christophanies. I'll explain all of that in a second. Stay with me. You're going to have a good time. Stay with me. Um, but I'm talking about the, those two main appearances in the incarnation and then post the incarnation when he comes back again. And so, and so um, there are four stages of Advent that have been created by the church. It's week one is hope. That's where we get fresh expectations from. So week one is hope where we're, we're looking, <clears throat> we're looking to the promise of the arrival of the savior, right? We begin working through our hearts and working through <clears throat> some things so that we can begin working in our hearts through the arrival, just preparing for it. And you'll see if you follow the phases of Advent, it's good for your soul. It's, it's good. Cause see, see, this is what I, this is what I want to say. See new plant, new church plants and churches. We tend to be so non-traditional. We sometimes throw away or ignore things that help nurture our people in good doctrine um, and good love and good reflection and meditation. There's some stuff, some stuff need to feel holy and formal sometimes. You know, everything ain't got to be jeans and t-shirts all the time. Sometimes you just need to feel like, 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 like you don't belong and God caused you to belong. It, you got to have that feeling sometimes. And sometimes that's what the good, we're vintage yet contemporary. So when we say vintage, we, we want to be we want to be like aged wine. There's no season in which we aren't relevant and tasteful in the mouth of our king. And so when we look at um, this reality, we, we look at week one is hope or promise. Week two is preparation. Preparation. That's when you begin preparing yourself for the coming of Jesus. God loves it when he gives you a prophecy and you can smell the seasons and you begin preparing for it. I, I love the way Annas and Simeon, uh, who was in the temple when Jesus Christ came in as a two-year-old toddler and they were awaiting his arrival and they were so glad that he had come, right? Um, so preparation or waiting or prophecy, right? And then week three is joy, Joy, now you're experiencing him being here, right? You're experiencing him being here and you're like, oh man, it's about to be on. But then week four is love and adoration. Now that he's here, let's worship him. Let's adore him. And now let's apply the love to others that he's applied to us. That's the beauty of the four phases of Advent, right? And so um, the Bible gives us freedom to create days or celebrate days as long as it doesn't pull us away from Jesus. Romans chapter 14, Colossians chapter 2. Just for those of you who are, I, I see your mental kind of computer going right now. So what is hope defined since week one is hope? What is hope defined? Hope is transseasonal. They should have it on the screen. Hope is transseasonal, supernatural expectation. <laughs> hope is supernatural expectation, but not only is it supernatural, it's transseasonal. In other words, when you look at the fact that hope is supposed to be that which extends beyond um, the now, that means when when you're in good situation, you got hope. Means when you're in bad situation, you got hope. <clears throat> um, when money is in the bank, you got hope. When there's no money in the bank, you still got hope. When, when, when you're healthy, you got hope. When you're sick, you got hope. When, when, when COVID wasn't here, you should have hope. While COVID is here, you should have hope. In other words, it's transseasonal expectation from God. Means it doesn't matter what season you're in, you, you, should, you should have a massive level of hopefulness 
that you're either pressing into or applying to your life, right? Hope is also the visionary <coughs> picture of a preferred future. Hope is the ability to see what's not there presently, even though it's not there. Hope is the ability <coughs> to mentally manifest in your mind what God has promised or what God is desiring to do or what God has laid on your heart. Despite what's going on, you're still able to keep your eye on it, right? Not only that, hope is an ingredient of faith. I love it because the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. Without hope, you can't have faith. So hope is an ingredient of faith because hope is the ability to picture what you believe, believing God for, even though what you're picturing isn't in front of you. That's the beauty of hope. And so, so, so hope is, is, is a big deal in scripture. And hope is one of the key pillars of the faith based on uh, Romans, um, 1 Corinthians 13, right? Faith, hope, and love are pillars and hope is one of those. But what are some hope killers? Let me just build this, if you will. What are, what are some hope killers? Because, you know, you can, I can say, Pastor, I hear all this hope stuff, but, but, but guess what, y'all? Many of us are hope killers. One of our one of the biggest hope killers, number one, is fear. Fear. You're, you're, you're scared. You you always strive on almost um, being pessimistic about everything. And you're controlled by fear in a way where you become emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, and practically paralyzed in your ability to see God doing more than what's out of your personal control. <laughs> Not only that, another hope, uh, 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 another hope killer is letting the challenges of life cloud your ability to envision and dream. Don't you let what you're going through now during this season stop you from dreaming. Listen, hope is the hope is God's gift to us to always be moving forward and to be dreaming and picturing something. That's why the Bible says, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you ask or think according to the power that is at work in you. What is that verse about? It's about God's power to manifest his work through a person above what they think, but he only upgrades what you think if you're dreaming. If you're not dreaming, if you're not wanting things to happen, if you don't want kingdom shifts to happen, listen, God can't upgrade what you don't put on the table. Not only that, um, another hope killer is seeing now as the only reality. Some of us, can't. now is just it. Now we know that Jesus says each day is enough trouble of his own. And, and he, but he's talking about in the context of worrying. He's not talking about in the context of just seeing living for now, because he also says build treasures for yourselves that are eternal for later, for future, right? Next is letting failure paralyze you. There are some of you who have failed. And you have, and it's not, I'm not even just talking about sin. I'm just talking about, <clears throat> you tried something that you had uh, a passion for, a desire for, and you failed at it. And what you began to do is you began to table it because you, instead of learning and developing an action plan for the failure, you just let the failure have the last word. Hope doesn't do that. Hope doesn't let failure have the last word. Hope says, what can I do in order to learn from this, not as a failure, but an experience of moving forward? See, some of us need to stop calling it failure and just say an experience of moving forward. And so... Advent, again, season is a healthy time 
to reflect on the way in which the coming or first arrival of Jesus was the greatest historical event in history. Point one, point one. Out of fresh expectations. Point number one is if you are going to have fresh expectations, I got one and one and only point. You have to recognize that Jesus reconnects heaven and earth. That's his specialty. (laughs) Jesus reconnects heaven and earth. It's interesting. The text says, for a child will be born to us. Now, in the immediate historical context, from the perspective of Isaiah, um, this is kind of a near prophecy of Hezekiah. Now, you have to understand, though, that many times in prophetic literature, there will be near prophecies and there will be far prophecies. In other words, it's called a dualistic prophecy. And you'll know that it's a dualistic prophecy because some of the prophetic items that describe a human being at that particular time transcends their capacity. As you begin to read this verse, you'll begin to see that it transcends the capacity of Hezekiah to be this right here. I mean, when you go to the king of Tyre, or when it talks about the dualistic nature of the enemy being behind the king of Tyre or the prince of Persia, the king of Persia, you will see that there are superlatives in there that extend beyond, listen, that person's capacity to be that evil. On the other hand, this exceeds the capacity of Hezekiah to be this good. Because we know that Hezekiah's kingdom was not like the kingdom of the one being talked about in this passage. Isaiah contains some of the most powerful prophetic pericopes that are are, are just mind-blowing when it comes to pointing to Jesus. And so he says, a child will be born for us. This is talking about Jesus Christ. What's interesting is this child being born, it'll, 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 he says it this way. He said, for, he said, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given. It's interesting. Well, that would seem like in uh, figures of speech that that's a synonymous parallelism. But, it, but, but in my mind, it's a contrastive parallelism in, in some ways. Why would I say that? <clears throat> because he says, A child will be born, but a son will be given. That's two different things. It's the same person, but it's two different things that it's talking about. The first part, when it says a child will be born, is talking about uh, 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 the incarnation. But a child, the son being given, is talking about pre-existence. We're going to talk about that in a second. Oh, this is some beautiful stuff. If you stay with me, a child being born is the incarnation, pointing to the fact that the Savior will be authentically human. Uh, It is important for us to understand that what makes our faith so amazing is that it's historical. It's historical. Historical means it really happened. It means it really happened. This is not a fairy tale written in the mind of some Mesopotamian cat. No, Christ really came. Now, 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 that may sound so simple, but we're in an era where people are denying his existence, denying that Jesus ever existed, even though no scholar will ever say that anymore. One of my favorite uh, 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 communications on uh, the incarnation of Jesus Christ or the incarnation mean him coming, him appearing, him arriving in flesh. Right. 
chucking his Shekinah in a skin suit. Athanasius, the 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 the, uh, the black dwarf they call him, the North African Alexandrian church father who fought for the two nations of Christ at the Council of Nicaea. He says in his book on the incarnation, read it. It's a short book, good read. Wrote it 1,300 years ago. He says, but to treat this subject, it is necessary to recall what has been prevail, uh, pr uh, previously said in order that you may neither fall to, fail to know the cause of the bodily appearing of the word of the Father so high and so great, nor think it a consequence of his own nature that the Savior has worn a body. He says, but that being incorporeal, meaning having no body prior to coming, incorporeal by nature, he says, in the word from the beginning, Lord have mercy, he has yet of the loving kindness and goodness of his own father been manifested to us in a human body for our salvation. I love it. Why, why, why in the world would the word become flesh? I love the way Hebrews says it because Jesus was authentically human and authentically historical. I'm loving this. I don't know about you, but I'm loving this. It says in verse Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, it says, therefore, since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, that's pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ went into the real tabernacle. Oh, I wish I had time to talk about that. Because you know the tabernacle on earth was a reflection of the one in heaven. And the high priest on earth would go into the place once a year. But Jesus Christ, when he ascended, he was going as high priest after the order of Melchizedek to go into the real holies of holy in between the mercy seat covered by the cherubim. Oh, y'all ain't. See, y'all don't know when to shout. And he said he passed through the heavens. He ain't die on his way in. He didn't need nobody to tie a string around his ankle like they did the high priest on earth because he was good because he was perfect. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Human and perfect. Human and perfect. Right. Under us, a child is born. I know somebody's out there and you may be on here. You may got caught on here. Did Jesus really exist? You know, you had this fake ex-minister talking about that was his main thing. He has. Did Jesus really exist? I'm saying do, 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 how, prove your existence. Prove that you exist. But since you want me to prove that Jesus exists, it's real easy. Non-Christians had a lot to say about Jesus not ex I mean, Jesus existing. Jesus existing. Jewish historian Flavius Josephus has several references to Jesus. Even talks about John as being Jesus's brother and says Jesus's name, right? Tacitus mentions Jesus. Lucian mentions Jesus. The Talmud mentions Jesus. And Moses um, uh, Memonides mentions Jesus. And so this very, these are people who are not even Christians. These are not even believers, but they affirm the historicity of his existence. Whether you believe that he's Savior or not is null and void at this point, because right here we're just talking about the fact that he existed. So I love the fact that we have a savior that was born, him coming to his planet to submit himself to his elements, to submit himself 
to his creation to let his mother be his mother, even though he's her God. <laughs> let his siblings be his siblings, even though he was their God. It's mind boggling that the, the humility of Jesus is so amazing that he could submit himself to people even though he was their God. What's your problem? That's for free. Some of y'all can't submit to nothing and y'all ain't create Jack. But Jesus Christ, listen, can you imagine Jesus Christ being in his mother's womb and he's still sustaining it while he's growing in her womb? I mean, are you wrapping your mind around how crazy and humiliating it is for God to put himself in the belly of a woman who will give his body life, but at the same time, he's sustaining her life as he sustains his own life and empowers her to be a sustainer of his physical life. Anyway, uh, this is just the stuff I think about, you know, this stuff I think about, you know, I, I just think that it's amazing that the child was born. If I was in a Baptist church, they'd be probably having a good time right now. I'm so amazed that the child was born. Anyway, I got to keep it moving. But the son will be given to us. A son will be given to us. The, the child was born. That was a creation, the physical body. The son being given, he pre-existed the incarnation. <laughs> this is important doctrine. It's called the doctrine of eternal sonship. Jesus is the eternal son. Please put this on the screen. Y'all got to tag this on here. The doctrine of eternal sonship simply affirms that the second person of the triune Godhead, this is, uh, this is dope, y'all, has eternally existed as the Son. In other words, there was never a time when he was not the Son of God. I want y'all to just meditate on that. There was never a time when he was never the Son of God, and there has always been a father-son relationship within the Godhead. This doctrine recognizes that the idea of sonship is not merely a title or role that Christ assumed at some specific point in history. Some people will say Jesus became the son at baptism or Messiah at baptism, but listen to what it says right here. It says, but that it is the essential identity of the second person of the Godhead. According to this doctrine, Christ is and always has been the son of God. This is dumb. So Jesus preexisted the incarnation. We know that in so many ways because we have something called theophanies and Christophanies. Theophanies and Christophanies are ways in which God shows up in a non human bodily way, but presents himself in ways that humans can translate that God is there, but didn't fully show himself because we die. All right. 
And so, so, so these theophanies, these theophanies are, 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 are God's show-up times. You, you understand what I'm saying? Um, let, let's, let's name some of the ones in the Old Testament. You see, uh, Abraham, he appeared to Abraham uh, 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 during the, uh, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 12. Uh, he started talking. That's sort of a theophany. But the huge theophany was in um, uh, Genesis 18 when he met him by the Oaks of Mamre. And he ate food. <laughs> Showing that he can eat and consume something. Uh, 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 he wrestled with Jacob, a physical form. He, he was called the angel of the Lord, but he realized, Jacob realized, I, I wrestled with God. So he called the place Bethany, house of God. Uh, Moses in the burning bush, it says, Moses met with God face to face. That's a theophany. Isaiah 6, he says, in the, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up in his train of his robe filled the temple. You see in John chapter 12 that that person was Jesus Christ. When he saw Jesus Christ's glory, he was sitting on the throne. That was Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, eternal glory. Jesus wasn't a created person in eternal past, but he is the God on the throne who is the image of the invisible God. New Testament points. Why is this all important? I'll tell you in a minute. How does the New Testament point to this? Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. I mean, that's, you, listen, that, listen, there is no bar that any MC or human being has ever stated that could ever overshadow that type of, before Abraham was, I am. They said he's not 50 years old because you considered a man out of your youth when you become 50. And so he's saying, I know I'm 33, and I know even if Abraham was living now, he would be older than me before, but before he was, that's what he would have said. He would have said the same thing that God said to Abraham in Exodus chapter 3, tell him who sent me. So Jesus says, before Abraham was, in Greek is ego I me. They knew exactly what he was saying. People said Jesus never said he was God. He said it all the time. He said it right there. <laughs> Jesus, in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, it says there was nothing that was created that was created without him. That means anything that is a creation was created by him. So in order for Jesus to be a created being, he would have to create himself. Therefore, all creation that's created was created by him, which makes him greater than creation and preexistent of all things. Therefore, he's God. That's good, y'all. You should clap where you're sitting. And, and next, Jesus Jesus praying about his preexistence. He's in John 17. He said, Father, let's, let me get back to the glory we had before all this was before it was anybody. It was just us. <laughs> Stephen in Acts 7, he said he stood up at the right hand of power. Saul in Acts saw him on the road to Damascus. In Colossians 1, it talks about uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, and then the return in Revelation. That's going to be the ultimate one. That's the one we waiting on. There's one more Christophany. There's one more Theophany. And that's when he shows up, tatted on a horse, coming back to wreck shop. I can't wait. I hope y'all having as much fun as I am with this. It says, and the government will be on his shoulders. So th the point of this, very simply, to state it plainly, is that he will have sovereign responsibility will be on his shoulder. God delivers sovereignty to him. That means, first, the father was engaging us, right? That's, who, that's what happened in Tanakh. But then, uh, uh, th th that's who was preeminently engaging Israel. <laughs> when Jesus came, he was preeminently engaging. 
Then Jesus went to heaven. The spirit came. The spirit is now the spokesperson for the Godhead right now. When Jesus comes back, Jesus is going to rule. He's going to be the spokesperson. Then first Corinthians chapter 15 said he's going to put the crown back on the father's head to deliver the kingdom to him. And then the father will rule all. Jesus will rule all. The spirit will rule all. And those of us who are glorified with him will rule. I don't know about y'all. I'm getting happy. It says he will be named. Oh, <laughs> old translation says his name will be called. It's interesting that it didn't say his names will be. Name here is singular. Why is name here singular? Name is singular here because the name that he will be called, his name, singular, will be ingest, injected with a bunch of potent things that come along with it. <clears throat> That's why in Philippians chapter two, it says that he will have placed upon him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what I like about that is that God injects everything that's in the name of Yahweh, everything that's, that, that's potent in the, the names of God. He pushes it and injects it into the name of Jesus. Okay, let me see if I can make it plain because y'all looking at me funny. I know. So one year during Thanksgiving, uh, we decided we was going to fry a turkey. I don't know if you ever fried a turkey. Fried turkey's good in the mug. Juicy, everything. Unless you cook it too long, and that joint will shrivel up on you. Um, like some, some leaves when the fall is over. It will. But what I did was I got in a, a food syringe. You don't know nothing about that, do you? It's a see-through syringe. It's either glass or plastic, and you put all the seasons and herbs and spices and stuff in there. And what you do is you, instead of rubbing the turkey, putting it, putting the seasonings on the turkey, you inject the flavor into the turkey so that the turkey will have the potency of all of those seasonings placed in it. Listen, when it says Jesus' name is above every name, God has injected all of these things into the name of Jesus Christ. So when you call on the name of Jesus, you call on El Loa, uh, uh, God, the strong, proeminent one. Uh, when, when, when you call on the name of Jesus, you get Elohim, the, the mighty and strong one. When you call on the name of Jesus, you get El Shaddai, which is God Almighty. When you call on the name of Jesus, you get the word Yahweh, the sovereign one, the sovereign Lord. When you call on the name Jesus, you get Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide. When you call on the name of Jesus, you get Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. When you call on the name of Jesus, you get Yahweh Nisi, the Lord Abana. When you call on the name of Jesus, you get Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is my peace. When you call on the name of Jesus, you get Yahweh Elohim, Lord God. When you call on the name of Jesus, you get Yahweh Sikanu, the Lord our righteousness. In other words, whatever you call on Jesus' name, everything that God is, He is, and you get it. And so we 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 look at how this passage lays out his name. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. That's two words. One idea. Now, y'all, listen, I'm trying not to run off the stage when I break this down. Wonderful counselor means extraordinary strategist. It points to, I thought, it, I used to think that this, I mean, they, oh, he counsels you through your stuff. No, 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 no. 
This word is not, this, the idea of wonderful counselor, as I began doing the exegetical work here, isn't merely him uh, counseling you through stuff and patting your back. It's actually him preparing you for battle. In other words, it means that he's a military strategist. <laughs> and so why, why is this important? Because kings were supposed to know how to fight battles. That means that as your king, Jesus comes in the epiphany and arrives to give you fresh expectations that you can fight through anything that you go through. That means why you going, if you got COVID right now, he can bring you through it. If you lost somebody to COVID, he can bring you through it. If you're dealing with spiritual warfare in your home, he can bring you through it. If you're dealing with financial challenges, he can bring you through it. If you're dealing with suicidal thoughts, he can bring you through. Whatever you're going through, the counselor, listen, can give you a military strategy. Why does the strategy need to be a military strategy? Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. And let me tell you something, family of God, if you don't think the devil is in your house trying to press on your mind, trying to press on your heart, trying to make you think crazy thoughts, trying to make you think crazy things, trying to make you think about jumping off bridges, about taking a bunch of pills, that's just not you in your mind. That's the enemy. And you need a wonderful counselor to give you some military strategic formats on how to fight the enemy. That's what you need. And you can have the fresh expectation of that. You need strategy for the wars in your life. You need strategy for the wars with your family and in your family. You need strategies for every part of your life. It says mighty God, El Elyon, El Gabor rather, El Gabor. He's called mighty God. The Bible's calling Jesus God. Then it calls him eternal father. Don't think we're modalist here. Father, eternal father just means he's father of eternity. This points to his creative prowess. But then it calls him prince of peace. I like what one commentator says about him being prince of peace. It says this title pictures the king as one who establishes a safe socioeconomic environment for his people. Lord have mercy, who would have thunk that Jesus would come back to do that? And then it says, the dominion will be vast. His dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. The eternal kingdom says he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom. It says to establish it and sustain it. Wow, that, that's almost like a footnote. But why would he come to establish and sustain the kingdom? Because so many failed to. <laughs> who's, who's ever sustained the kingdom? Who? Name one king. Name one. Name one, name one major imperialistic regime as powerful as the Greeks were, as powerful as African kings were, as powerful as Greece was, as powerful as Rome was, as powerful as Persia was, as powerful as France was under Napoleon, as powerful as all of these kingdoms were, the, the, the Asian, the Chinese, all of them gone. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, though, 
He had a lot of kings. He had Saul. He served God with no heart. You had David who served him with a whole heart, but still failed. You had Solomon that served him with a half of a heart. The kingdom was split. Jesus is returning to make sure we finally have stability. Comprehensive stability. Some of y'all are still voting. Y'all think y'all can vote for stability. <laughs> People are going crazy now talking about the, 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 the voting ain't over yet and all of that kind of carrying on. it Because you're putting your, I don't care who's president, to be honest. But let me tell you something. Um, I'm, I mean, I care in a sense and then don't care in a sense, right? Um, because let me tell you something. They can't sustain nothing in this country. We in more debt than we ever been in. People are getting sick. There's no infrastructure to help make sure that we help people to be controlled, to get rid of the divide. This is not a sustainable kingdom. If you think America and religious freedom and all of that is your greatest hope, you are in trouble. If you think the, the person that got elected is your greatest hope and now think you want to take pictures and all of that, this is my president and all of that, and you want to call the other one 54 or 50, uh, what do you call it, 45, all that, I don't, I don't care about none of that. But, but my issue is none of them, if you put, be careful of placing your confidence in leadership that can't establish and sustain you. Jesus is the only one that can do that. And this kingdom that he establishes will sustain you. He says with the Bible says with justice and righteousness from now and, and now on and forever. The word justice here is interesting. It's the quality of being free from favoritism, self-interest, bias, or deception, especially conforming to established standards or rules. Let me tell you something, family. Jesus Christ will come back and put in place justice. When he comes back, there will be no more protesting. Well, there'll be one attempt, the Battle of Armageddon, they will try to come against Satan, will come out of prison, and he'll try to bring one last fight, and he will get slayed. And then it'll be it. So in God's kingdom, there'll be no more classism. There'll be more, no more sexism. Amen. And there will be no more racism. There will only be heism in the kingdom. Says in righteousness, meaning and pointing to the fact that it will have character finally in leadership. And it says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. Yahweh's passion is that Jesus will come and that Jesus will rule, says the Lord of armies. God is the God of armies. One of the things that I like about the reality of Jesus returning is in Jesus returning, um, he's putting things back together, like I said, heaven and earth, connecting it again. If you, if you, don't, you don't realize this as I close, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, particularly Genesis 2, early part of Genesis 3, heaven and earth had no boundaries between it. It was connected. That's why Satan, in the form of a spiritual servant, not physical servant, slithering around, um, Heaven and earth was boundless. That's why Yahweh would just come into the garden. There was no boundary between heaven and earth. God still strived among men by his spirit, right? 
After the fall, the connection between the realms were severed. That's why in Genesis 6, God says, my spirit won't always strive with man. Jacob saw a vision with a ladder that touched top, touched heaven, the bottom touched earth, and someone was standing at the top of it. <laughs> Jesus in John chapter one tells us that he's Jacob's ladder. In verse 51, speaking to Nathan, Jesus comes, dies, and the elements shake during the passion and the crucifix. And why in the world were the elements shaking? And the, t and, and the temple was torn from top to bottom, the, the veil, because there was a micro-merging of the realms back together again so that man can build and begin building a kingdom that reflects the ultimate kingdom that's going to come. Kingdom building now, as we live in this, is that acts as temporary overlaps of heaven and earth. Whenever we do what we do and we hope, that's an overlap of heaven and earth. Whenever you share the gospel with somebody, that's overlapping with heaven and earth. Whenever you do good for the poor, guess what? That's overlapping heaven and earth. Whenever you fight racism and injustice, listen, that's an overlap of heaven and earth. Whenever you lead somebody from spiritual death to spiritual life, that's an overlap of heaven and earth. Jesus will then come back and creates a new heaven and new earth, and now the realms will never be separated again, and that's what he does. He merges the unmergeable and glues together the unglueable. I pray that God encouraged you today to believe that he's able and willing to restore some things in your life. I pray that you would have renewed hope because of who he is, not because you're feeling better. <laughs> Be careful of letting how you feel dictate your hope. Listen, I wanted you to see who he is. Put your confidence in who he is so that you can draw energy and truth off of him. Get true vibes, not these atheistic, humanistic, new age, new thought vibes. It's about a true vibe from heaven that will stick to your ribs and that will give you the ability to say, since my God is all of this, I have no choice but to hope because of what he specializes in. And so I pray that during this season, that God would allow you to see where heaven and earth has aligned in your life, does align in your life, and will align in your life. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your mercy and kindness that knows no end. Lord, I pray for those under the sound of my voice. I pray that you would touch them. Restore hope to your people. And maybe someone doesn't know you. Help them to confess you as Lord and trust that you died on the cross for their sins and got up from the grave and believe that you are a propitiation for their sin, that you took on the wrath, Jesus. And then... Also believe that you're able to restore their life, everything in it. 
if you believe that, put your name in the com, put your information in the comments. Your uh, hit, I mean, email, uh, email rather, not put it in the comments, but email us. They'll be putting an email in the link in there because we want to get in contact with you. We want to love on you, and we want to talk to you more comprehensively about what it means to come to Jesus. All right, people of God. Well, I hope that was a blessing to you. You know, now it's time for communion. Communion is a time to celebrate the Lord's death. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Let us eat together. After the Passover meal, he took the cup, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my blood, blood of the new and everlasting covenant, which is shared for you and for many. Let us drink together. Father God, help this season to be filled with joy, to be filled with hope and fresh expectations. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Take care. Have a good Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you.